Due to the graphic nature and content of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, welcome back to Mysteriously Morbid. I'm your host, Melissa Lee, and thank you for joining me. It is so good to be with you guys tonight, so sit back, relax, put your headphones on, and have a listen. If you haven't noticed yet, Josh Doe is not here. I am flying solo this evening for you guys. And if you also haven't noticed yet, we have some new tunage. So take a minute, have a listen. enough fun time to get down to business to defeat the huns what who was that that was so weird but for real i have to give major props to my baby brother thank you so much for helping me out with this dan you are the best you are a rock star i cannot wait to hear what else you get to come up with because you are super talented and you definitely got the creative songwriting gene so yeah so you guys i thought i would go ahead and talk about something super duper interesting um i'm actually going to get to interview somebody concerning this case which i am so stoked about i cannot wait to get this story out there because i am shocked it isn't as popular as it is in my brain so without further ado let's jump on into tonight's case I feel it's kind of important to mention that this is a first part of a two-part series, so sit back, relax, grab a coffee. I have a homemade decaf latte because I am basic, and have a listen. Fifteen, twenty years, there's not a time that goes by when I don't think about these cases. The first time that I ever would have said my kids couldn't throw their sleeping bags out in the backyard and spend the night. Everybody was really scared because of the circumstances. That's an awful long time to not know or have anything concrete done. Nobody knew who the killer was or if somebody was going to be next. He was right there. He was right in my face. I will remember that forever. The sheriff boats were out on the river for a couple of days collecting remains. When you take someone's child and they disappear and you have no idea, and you always imagine the worst happening. It doesn't just stay with the immediate family. These events that happen, it spreads out. We're on the trail of the right guy here. From 1979 until 1982, five people ended up missing or dead. I think he's gotten away with murder over and over and over. 
I'm not afraid of him. He should be afraid of me. Okay, so those sound clips we just listened to were courtesy of two separate documentaries about this same case. The first one was from um, the documentary Confluence. And then the second one was from an investigation discovery special called Cold Valley. I first heard about this case watching Cold Valley. I remember actually watching that commercial and being like, oh my gosh, I have to watch this. This sounds way too interesting. So let's do some math. What do you think the probability is of multiple murders being connected to one person? I actually have some bad news because I actually don't know the probability, but I'm going to go ahead and say, after you listen to this, you're going to go ahead and say, yeah, this guy had to have something to do with these crimes. No normal person has this amount of dead bodies attached to them. One is a tragedy. Two is a coincidence. Three is suspicious. And that's my guideline. I don't even know what other people have to say about it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that, yeah, maybe one or two of these, it's like, oh, that's a shame. But once you start getting to the three, four, five range, it's like, okay, what the is going on? So I'm going to go ahead and start with the crimes that were the center of the Cold Valley documentary. And it starts in 1979 and moves forward. And I think we're going to go ahead and find as well that there are more crimes and creepy encounters this guy is linked to. And these things just can't be explained away. There are too many coincidences in this case. Let's do this episode a little bit differently, where I do not explain how the person of interest is connected to the person until the very end. And then I'll let you draw your own conclusions from this episode. Let's go ahead and start with the first victim listed, which is Christina White. On April 28th, 1979, no one knew that that would be the last day they would see Christina White. Christina was a 12-year-old girl living in Asoton, Washington. On that day, she actually attended a county fair. At approximately 2.30 p.m. that afternoon, Christina called her mom from a friend's house saying that she was suffering from heat exhaustion, something that Christina had happened before. When calling her mom, Christina had mentioned that she was not feeling well. She had also asked for her to come and pick her up. Her mother knew that she had suffered from heat exhaustion before and told her to place a cold towel on the back of her neck until she felt better. Her mother told her once she was feeling better to go ahead and ride her bike down to the bottom of the hill where she would be waiting for her. Little did Christina's mom know that that would be the last interaction she would have with her daughter. Christina ended up riding her bike to a friend's house and asked for a cold, wet washcloth. The friend recalled that he did not see Christina that day. However, her friend's stepfather did provide her with the wet washcloth and sent her on her way. Meanwhile, Christina's mother is waiting at the bottom of the hill, growing more and more anxious as Christina did not show up. Christina's mother began asking people if they had seen her daughter. After all, there was a county fair going on. There were tons and tons of people in the Asotan area. Christina's father had suspected that a carnival worker was responsible for his daughter's disappearance. He believed this so much so that he ended up following around the carnival crew to other fairgrounds. Christina White's body has never been found nor has her bicycle. One suspicious thing that did happen was a farmer was out in his field a few weeks after her disappearance and found 
homework papers with Christina White's name on them out in the middle of his field. He immediately called the police, and to this day, that is the only known evidence in the Christina White disappearance case. As of 2019, Christina White would be 52. I encourage you to go online to thecharlieproject.org and look up Christina Lee White to see what she would look like in this day and age. At this point in time, Christina is believed to be deceased. Let's go ahead and move on to our next victim, 22-year-old Kristen David. On Friday, June 26, 1981, Kristen decided to take a long bicycle ride as she was an avid biker. Kristen was a student at the University of Idaho. She was last seen riding her bike from Moscow, Idaho to her summer job in nearby Lewiston. Kristen had indeed made this ride many times before. Little did she know that this would be her last. Several days later on July 4th, Kristen Davis's remains would be found. Two fishermen found black garbage bags floating along the river. When they opened them, to their surprise, they found a human torso and part of a human leg. Other body parts were later found floating along the river. These body parts would be brought back to the coroner's office and identified as the remains of Kristen Davis. Whoever did this to Kristen was believed to have had some sort of medical knowledge. There were two witnesses that spotted Kristen on the day of her disappearance. One saw her traveling down the steep hill on her bicycle. The other saw something that ended up being a little more sinister. The second witness saw what he believed to be a girl on the ground with a bicycle, and next to her was a man with a brown van standing over her body, smiling maliciously. Investigators believe this could have been the person who abducted Kristen Davis. Evidence from this case has been sent to the FBI and results are pending. I hope at this point you were wondering how these two cases are connected. And I would love to tell you, however, unfortunately, there is more. Let's fast forward to September 12th, 1982, the night where three people disappeared without a trace. We're going to talk about Stephen Pearsall first. Stephen Pearsall was 35 years old at the time of his disappearance. He was described as a shy, easygoing guy and very soft-hearted. At approximately midnight on September 12, 1982, Stephen Pearsall entered the local civic theater. His girlfriend had dropped him off at the theater where he worked as a janitor and a set builder. Stephen would often go and do his laundry at the theater while practicing his clarinet. From my understanding, this was a pretty big local hangout for those interested in dramatic arts and music. Incidentally, that same evening would end up being the last night Christina Nelson and Jacqueline or Brandy Miller would be seen alive as well. The evening of September 12th, 1982, the two girls left Christina's home for a shopping trip to a nearby Safeway grocery store. Christina had left a note for her boyfriend explaining where they were going and to just go ahead and let himself in. After waiting all night for Christina to return, her boyfriend reported both of their disappearances to the Lewiston police. Police are unsure where Christina and Brandy actually went that evening and what path they traveled to get to the Safeway. They do, however, have a strong suspicion that both girls stopped at the Civic Theater that night. Stephen Pearsall was listed as one of the main suspects in both girls' disappearance. However, per his family members, he would not hurt a fly. The three disappeared that evening. 
On March 19, 1984, a 14-year-old boy was collecting cans along the Idaho Highway 3. He ventured out and found what he believed to be a deer skull. When he picked it up, to his surprise, it was not animal, but human. The two bodies of Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller had been found. It had been over a year since they had disappeared. There was evidence found at the scene that the killer had actually moved their bodies previously from a different site. If the two girls' bodies have been found, where is Stephen Pearsall, you may ask? To this day, Stephen Pearsall's body has not been found. In law enforcement's eyes, Stephen Pearsall was looking like the perfect suspect for the two girls' murders. However, what if I were to tell you Stephen Pearsall was not alone in that theater? Not with Brandy, Christina, but someone else. That changes everything. Now, I know I promised you guys the explanation of how this one person is connected to all of these crimes. However, I lied. I have a very special guest that's going to be joining me on the next episode of the podcast. She will be telling me her side of the story as she is one of the family members of the victims. I really hope you guys are as interested in this case as I am. This case is such a cliffhanger and it makes you so mad that something has not been done about this person who has been connected to each of these crimes. But wait, there's more. Spoiler alert, these are not the only crimes this person of interest is connected to. If you are completely invested in the case at this point, like I am, I suggest you take a listen to our next podcast, which will be coming out soon. And don't forget, next episode is including a special guest who has familial ties to these cases. Thank you again for joining me on this special journey of episode one of the Lewiston Clark Valley serial killer. I'm Melissa Lee, and this has been Mysteriously Morbid. Mysteriously Morbid is a self-produced podcast. Like and follow Mysteriously Morbid on Facebook at Mysteriously Morbid Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Mysteriously Morbid underscore pod. Follow us on Twitter at MYS underscore Morbid Pod. Listen to Mysteriously Morbid on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts TBD. Stay tuned for part two. Or else.